0: Good morning, everybody. While we're receiving the offering, you might want to take a chance and go to Ephesians chapter 6. Use a mobile device. Use your, your Bible, Ephesians chapter 6. We're in this series on uh, spiritual warfare. Today, we're talking about the breastplate of righteousness. See what that means. One of the things I so appreciate about this passage is it explains life in the world today. How do you explain what's happening in the Ukraine now? Both the courage of the people of Ukraine, the, uh, the diabolical plot to invade a sovereign country. And the Bible explains those things. It says we're made in the image of God, which explains the courage and the goodness of even people who do not know the Lord and it says there is a fallen nature that uh, we all are born with and on top of that we live in a fallen world a broken world and on top of that we have a very real but invisible enemy who heads a coalition of powers who have one goal in mind and that is to destroy our lives destroy our families and if we're Christians, to neutralize our witness. And the wonderful thing is God has given us some resources called the Armor of God to help us to live as Christians in the world as it is today. And today we're going to look at one of those resources. So Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Let me just read it for us. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Having fastened on the belt of truth, and that's what CJ led us in last week, looking at that piece, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So I want to do two things. I want to answer the question, what is in the world is this breastplate of righteousness, and how do you put it on? I'm sure Paul, who's sitting in prison at this time, being guarded by a Roman soldier, had the opportunity to talk with the guy. Uh, Tell me about your armor. How does it work? What what does it do? And one of the pieces of armor is a a breastplate. Ben, come on up here if you would, please. I thought we might just try this on someone. Let's see if we can make it work. Here we go. Nope, won't do it. But imagine being standing here with this breastplate on. I'm sure they had as much trouble getting it on, yeah. <laughs> Let's just lay it down. <laughs> Take my word for it. Yeah, just But in the days of Paul, unlike this one, It was one, by, one molded piece of metal fitted to the particular soldier, and it went from the neck to the, to the thigh. And I'm sure as Paul talked with him, the, the, the man said, um, this protects my vital organs, my heart, my, my kidneys, my bowels, my, my liver. If I'm hurt, the soldier might say, if I'm hurting my arm or my leg, it might not be a fatal wound. But if a sword goes to my heart, it lights out. And so it's designed to protect your heart, which is the organ that regulates the flow of blood, that pump that regulates the flow of blood throughout your whole body. And Paul says, this is a, a, this is a picture, it's a metaphor of the fact that God goes to work in our hearts and Satan aims for our hearts. And in the Bible, the heart is more than just how I feel. It has the idea of your, your thoughts too, what you value um, Uh, the the habits that you have, decisions that you make, the vision that you have. All of that's about, we live out of our hearts. So Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything flows out of that. Out of that comes the wellspring of life. That's true physically. So they wore this breastplate. It's also true spiritually. And so in some way, there's this picture of something that protects our heart. It's a breastplate of righteousness. What is that? I think that's one of those words that we throw around in church here in songs and read it in scripture. And we're just not sure what it is. And In our culture, righteousness has this negative connotation, self-righteous, holier than thou, a legalistic or a stiff or a c- cocky. It's, it's, this, it's this picture of someone who is judgmental. It's not the picture at all in Scripture, thank you. Look on the screen. Words have different nuances. We understand that, but in general, this is a biblical definition of righteousness. It's to be right with someone. It's a relational word. To be presentable. To pass inspection. To pass ma- uh, muster. To, to live up to the specs. Uh, to measure up. To be accepted. To meet the requirements or standards, especially of someone that you consider. Uh, Important to pass inspection, to be approved, to be found pleasing to someone that is important. That's righteousness. For example, when it says in Genesis, Noah was a righteous man, he he met the standards. He was pleasing to God. He he was accepted. He was found worthy. And this is something we struggle with all of our lives. Just to be up, just to pass muster, just to be, just to please someone that we want. To please, to be presentable to someone. Let me tell you what I mean. If you're going on a date, now some of you think way back. You're going on a date with someone you really like. What do you want to do? You want to be presentable. You want to be accepted, which means you want to cover your flaws. Maybe you think you talk too much. So I think in preparation for this date, I... I'm going to guard my words. I'm going to ask more questions. I'm not going to dominate the conversation. Or maybe you think, well, one of my flaws is I don't talk enough. People don't. I don't engage with, with people. I'm a little socially awkward. So you prepare some questions you're going to ask. Maybe you take a little note card and pick some, put some words there you're going to say. You, you prepare in your mind what you're going to say. Maybe you feel like you have some physical flaws. So you're going to use clothing to cover up some Law that you think you might have, or use makeup because you want to be pleasing, you want to be accepted, you want to be, you want to be worthy, you want to be approved of, or you go to apply for a job. What do you do with your resume, whether it's online or in person? What do you do? You yeah, you update it. You present yourself. You present yourself in a way that it's it's acceptable. It's 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 worthy. You're worthy of their attention. You you passed inspection. You ever had a nightmare? where you were in some party or some social gathering and in your night in your dream you're not dressed appropriately what do you feel you feel shame you, you don't feel accepted you're acceptable you're 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 not presentable at, at all and this this need to be presentable is something that to be pleasing in the eyes of someone we know is something we carry around with us all our lives. And how many people are there that we have to please? And how many specs do we have to live up to? How many standards? Some of us were never pleasing to our parents, no matter what we did. That's a driving force in us. And some of us were pleased. Our parents were pleased with us, but that was the drive that, that we had. Some of us are doing whatever we have to do to be presentable or pleasing to our children because having our children think well of us means the whole world to us. These are issues of righteousness. To be pleasing, to be be acceptable, to be someone that, that people approve of. And some people say, well, I don't care what people think. We tell ourselves that because we think that makes us independent. I have a friend one time, he says, if you live up to your own standards, that means your standards are really low. So righteousness is like a verdict I've been found acceptable. I've been found presentable, and we live off of that. We, our idea of who we are, our self-concept grows out of that. We base our lives on whether we're presentable or not. Where, where does this come from? Well, I'm sure there are lots of different answers, psychological answers and sociological answers, but the Bible has a theological answer, and it says it comes right from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2, where it says the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed, nothing to hide nothing to cover. Completely presentable to each other and to God. Their desire is to please God, and they did. And God found great delight in them in the garden. They knew who they were. They knew who God was. They were well-pleasing in the eyes of the only person who really matters ultimately. They were loved by the only love that lasts. What happened? Genesis chapter 3, they listened to the serpent who said, if you obey God, you're going to miss out. He's not after your best. And Genesis 3, 7 said, when they decided to be their own masters, the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. They felt ashamed. They felt exposed. They were not presentable. They were not righteous. So what did they do? They covered themselves with what? Fig leaves to cover themselves and ever since genesis 3 we've been doing the very same thing it's deep in all of us this need to to be presentable to be acceptable and we know deep down we're not we're not righteous especially the eyes of our pure holy god one of the most traumatic verses in all of the bible a few years ago this just knocked me to the floor is Hebrews 4.13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Before His holy eyes, we, were, we are absolutely unacceptable. We're unpresentable. We don't love God with all of our heart. We don't love our neighbor as ourselves. So what do we do? We've got to cover ourselves up. We, we have, we've got to find some kind of breastplate with some kind of righteousness When you look in the mirror, how do you tell yourself you're acceptable, you're presentable? How do you do that? We've got to find some way to cover up our flaws. We've got to find some kind of breastplate, as if some kind of fig leaves. Some people will say, "Well, I'm good to my family. Done well in my career. I'm honest. I'm kind. I try to be a good person." In other words, I'm being my own savior that's my breastplate. That's my covering of fig leaves. I'm making myself presentable, approvable. Or if you're raised in church, you might say this, I'm going to emulate the Lord. I'm going to study the Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to have faith. I'm going to put together a righteousness that I can present to God. And there's two problems with that. One is it gets old quick. It's very tiring. And the second is it doesn't work. Jesus once said, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. And the scribes were the the men who translated and transcribed the Scriptures. The Pharisees, you couldn't get more righteous than they were. Here's the good news of the gospel. There is a righteousness that does not come from us. There's a righteousness that not that we give to God. There is a righteousness He gives to us. It's a righteousness that comes from him, and it's received by faith in Christ. So I want to read to you something. I want to read to you from the Journal of David Brainerd. David Brainerd, back in the 1700s, was a missionary to the Native Americans in western Massachusetts, and he kept a journal of his life. He died young. He was engaged to one of Jonathan Edwards' daughters. Jonathan Edwards was a great pastor in those early days of the Great Awakening. And John, Jonathan Edwards took his journal and published it. And this thing has been reprinted and republished thousands of times. It's a classic. Listen to what David Brainerd said. When I was about 20 years of age, I was engaged more than ever in the duties of religion. I became strict and watchful over my thoughts, my words, my actions. I thought I must be very seriously religious. I even considered entering the ministry. I spent much time every day reading my Bible and Praying, I gave great attention to Sunday sermons. In short, I had a very good outside, and I trusted entirely in my religious duties. Though I was not then aware of what I was doing wrong, though I often confessed to God that I, of course, deserved nothing, yet still I harbored a secret hope of recommending myself to God by all these duties and all this morality. When I prayed affectionately and felt some melting of my heart and love to Him, I hoped God would thereby me move to care for me, so I thought that through my repenting and praising Him and seeking Him, I could make good steps toward heaven. When my heart seemed full of love and faith, I felt that God would be affected by that and would hear my prayers for their sincerity. In other words, I healed myself with my duties. I told myself, God must accept you because look at how wholeheartedly you serve and seek Him. Now here was the problem. The more I tried to have God with to love God, love God with all of my soul. The more I saw how little I really loved Him. And the more I sought a soft heart, the more I felt how hard my heart was. And I supposed it must be softened because before Christ would accept me. One night I remember in particular when I was walking alone and I had opened to me such a view of my sin that I feared the ground would cleave asunder under my feet and become my grave. I saw it was impossible for me after the utmost pains to answer the demands of God's law. I saw it condemned me for selfish and angry and fearful and envious and lustful thoughts, which I could not prevent. And then after a considerable time spent in such distresses, one morning I was alone, and I saw all that my contrivances and projects to effect and procure salvation were utterly in vain. I had thought many times that the difficulties were very great to be saved, but now I saw them in a different light, that it was totally impossible to do anything toward delivering myself. The tumult that had been in my mind Now quieted, I saw that all my prayers and repentances and feelings and obediences had not laid laid the least obligation upon God to bestow His salvation on me. Then I realized why they were of no avail. Where I had been fasting and praying and obeying, I thought I was aiming at the glory of God, but I was doing it all for my own glory to feel I was worthy. As long as I was doing all all of this to earn my salvation, I was doing nothing for God, all for me. I realized that my struggling to become worthy was an exercise in self-worship. I was actually trying to avoid God as Savior and to be my own Savior. I was not worshiping Him, but using Him. And then at that time, the true way of salvation opened to my mind, and I saw so much of it, of its wisdom and suitability and excellence, that I wondered how I ever was blind to it. I wondered why everyone didn't see this way of salvation, not of my own contrivances, but entirely by the righteousness of Christ. I felt myself in a new world, and everything about me appeared with a different aspect from before. Do you know what he's saying? I did everything I could to be presentable, to be approvable to God, to be pleasing to Him. He realized that one day he was trying to stitch together his own righteousness, to become a good Christian. He was trusting in his sincerity, his religion instead of Christ. You know, you read this kind of stuff, and it's great Christians throughout all the ages, they say this kind of thing. This is from John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, the second most published book in the history of the world. He said, One day as I was passing into a field, fearing that all was not right between me and God, suddenly this sentence fell upon my soul. Your righteousness is in heaven. I thought I saw with the eyes of my soul Jesus Christ at God's right hand, and I said, that's my righteousness. Wherever I was or whatever I was doing, God could not say of me that I lacked his righteousness, for that was ever before him. Moreover, I saw that it was not my feeling right that made my righteousness better, or feeling a failure that made my righteousness worse, for my righteousness was ever before him, Jesus Christ himself, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now. Did my chains fall off my, at my legs indeed? I was loosed from my afflictions and my irons. My temptations fled away. From that time, those dreadful scriptures of God quit troubling me. Now I went home rejoicing with the grace and love of God. I saw Christ is my all, my righteousness, my wisdom, my sanctification. A few years ago, Ruthie and I were on, took a vacation, went to Niagara Falls. And rather than wanting to drive on into Canada, we took a taxi. Taxi, There was a long line, and we got in the line. Our taxi driver was Muslim. And I got into a conversation with him. I said, um, uh, I really think all religions are alike, don't you? He turned around and looked at me and said, what do you mean? I said, well, we all want to love God. We all want to please God. We all want our sins forgiven. How does your religion teach you that sins are forgiven? And he told me all the things, the five steps, the five pillars of Islam, all the things you had to do. And so I asked him the question, are you forgiven? He said, I don't know. I said, will you be forgiven on judgment day? I don't know. And I said to him, I know that I am forgiven, not because I'm good. I do try to be a good person. But because God found a way to make me acceptable in his sight. And I quoted to him, 2 Corinthians 5.21, that says, For God made him to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I said, Here's what this means. When Jesus died on the cross, God blackened, blackened him, God stained him, God punished him for every foul thought and act of all those who would trust in Christ. To forgive us. Not because of what I've done, but because of Jesus. And then I said, here's the most amazing part. God not only punished Christ for my record, my account, God credited me with the faithfulness of Jesus. That God looks at me as if I had actually done what Jesus did. And he pulled off the side of the road, got out that. He said, don't worry, I'll get back in line. Pull off the side of the road and said, I have never heard anything like this in my life. This is what the Bible calls imputed righteousness. That word imputed just means credited. The day you receive Christ by faith, you are credited with Jesus' record. All the times Jesus was faithful, it's credited to you. The moment you trust Christ, God credits to you all that Jesus did, all that He is. So it means when you look, he looks at you, he doesn't just see a forgiven sinner. He sees someone who has kept the perfect standard of righteousness. So God treats the innocent as if they're guilty, that's Jesus, and God treats the guilty as if we're innocent. He said, I never heard such a thing. Listen to Philippians 3, uh, Philippians 3, 7. Paul talks about all these things he did to be acceptable to God. And then he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for His sake. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The most blunt thing... Paul ever said was in Romans 4:5, to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Who does God justify? Who does God count as righteous? The one who worked really hard? No. The one who simply believes in Christ. It's his faith that's counted. The gospel is not make yourself presentable, clean your life up. The gospel is from the moment you believe, though you are still ungodly. But you turn to Christ in faith. At that moment, you are credited with the very righteousness of Christ. You know what that means? That means you can stand, you can walk into the very presence of God with your head held high and your back straight, not with your eyes down and your tail tucked between your legs. You can walk right into His very presence because you are worthy. Not because of your own righteousness, but you are counted with the righteousness of Christ. You can walk into His, you're free. There's a sense of joy. My heavenly Father accepts me totally, not because of me, but because of Christ. It creates a sense of freedom and joy. And then God actually begins to make you righteous. This is called imparted righteousness the holy spirit comes into our life begins we begin to change from the inside and from from the heart we begin to feel a little more love we begin to have a little more courage a little more self-control there are two sides of righteousness the being and the doing and once you're saved satan can do nothing to change your righteous standing before god he cannot take it from you he can't undo what christ has done you are totally acceptable. You are totally pleasing. You are totally approved. You're presentable before the most important person in the entire universe because you've been credited with the perfect righteousness of Christ. Satan can't touch that. What he can touch is you living a life of righteousness, which is why Ephesians 4 says, put on the new self created after the likeness of Christ of, of God in true righteousness and holiness, which is why 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. You say, well, Sam, does that mean we don't try to be good? No, it just means we don't trust our goodness. We do try to be good. If you knew I buried $10 million in your backyard, you you would leave right now and grab a shovel and start digging you would tear up your yard. Why? Because what is buried there is worth any effort that you give to it to try to find it. And when you were saved, God deposited deeply in you all the righteousness that belongs to Jesus. But you can't benefit from it unless you're willing to do some digging with truth. So let me just summarize. Let me just summarize. A person who is a moralist says, because I'm a pretty good person, I can stand in the presence of God. A Christian says, the reason I can stand in the presence of God, the reason I'm growing in grace is because I'm already accepted by Him. A moralist says, the reason I can come to God is, I've had a pretty good week. A Christian says, I've had a pretty good week because I know He accepts me. Huge difference in the way we repent. A moralist says, I need to repent so He can accept me. A Christian says, I can repent because He's already accepted me. And I don't want to hurt the one who gave himself for me at such an infinite cost. So second question, how do you put this on? How do you put on a breastplate of righteousness? Let me just give a couple of examples. Tim Keller says uh, he had a pastor friend who had an adult son who rejected the faith, ran off with his girlfriend living with her. And he said the father was, this pastor was so bitter against his son and the girl and he felt guilty that he was so mad, but he felt like he had a reason to be mad. So I think it was Keller who asked him, why do you feel like you have a reason to be mad at your son? And the man said, look at me. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to call people to faith. I can't even call my own son to faith. You're humiliated. And Keller said, sometimes when you're bitter, you can't get rid of it. It's often because you cannot get something that has become your righteousness. That father realized he was counting on his success as a father, his ability to bring his son to faith, to be worthy, to be acceptable, presentable. That was his breastplate. Was one of his fig leaves covering. Keller says he realized that he, before he could repent of his bitterness, he first had to, had to repent of making his son's salvation a way of earning his own. He says he, he had to put on Christ's righteousness and admit he was relying on his record as a father for his righteousness. He had to remember what made him acceptable to God was not his success as a father, but Jesus' record. The reason he could feel worthy was not his success as a father, because, but because of Jesus. And when he repented of that, he said he found he could forgive. How do you put the breastplate of righteousness on when, uh, when you feel guilty? I mean, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper here in just a moment. And chances are someone is here, and when it comes toward you, you all, all that is in your mind is a sin that you keep committing over and over and over again. And you hear a voice in your head that says, you call yourself a Christian. How can you take communion? You've done this again and again and again. You're not even a Christian. How do you put on the breastplate of righteousness Well, first you have to realize there is a difference between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the accusations of our own mind or our feelings or the devil himself. There's a difference. The devil will always point to your sin, to your guilt, not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not say, you've not lived up to the standard. The Holy Spirit doesn't want you relying on your success, your best efforts, your performance. The Holy Spirit will Say, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. The Holy Spirit will say, yes, that's your sin. So you need to get to Jesus because he's accepted you. The devil will say, that's your sin. He doesn't want to see you. The Holy Spirit will say, you sinned. He wants to see you. So when you hear a voice saying, look at all the things you've done. You put on the righteousness, put on the breastplate of righteousness. You're right. I did sin and I deserve to be cast out. There's no argument from me about that. But when I think that God wants nothing to do with me, I am not going to listen to that voice that minimizes the sacrifice of the Son of God. Of course I'm not worthy of, of course I'm worthy of being rejected by Him, but His righteousness covers that. If I believe one moment that I'm not worthy of Him, I've started to trust myself. So if you feel too bad to go before the Father, if you beat yourself up believing God could never forgive you, you know what you're doing? You're failing to believe in Jesus. You're believing in yourself. The Savior has covered that. So put on the righteousness. Put on the breastplate. Talk to that little voice in your head and and say, my good feelings, all that I do as a Christian has never been the reason why God accepts me. Even if I lived a great Christian life this week, would that be the reason God accepts me? No. He accepts me because of the righteousness of Christ that is mine by faith. I am right with God because of perfect obedience. Not mine, but the obedience of Jesus. Isaiah 49, 15 says, can a woman forget the baby who nurses at her breast? She may forget, but I will not forget you, says God. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Remember the song, Before the Throne of God Above? I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Put on the breastplate when you're working too much. You know, workaholics, we need to ask ourselves, what, why, what's driving this? Why are you driving yourself into the ground? This is not what makes you acceptable before God. This is not what makes you worthy. When you're discouraged, when you're depressed, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Keller says this. He says a moralizing Christian will say, you're depressed? You're a wicked sinner. Repent. Someone else might say, are you depressed? Well, you need to see that God loves you just as you are. That's a half truth. That's a subtle denial of the gospel. It's a way of saying what Christ did doesn't matter. You're fine just the way you are. The gospel would say something in your life is serving as your righteousness, and you need to replace that with Jesus. When you're self-conscious, when you put on the breastplate of righteousness, why do why does what they think of me matters when the one who's the most important person in the universe accepts me and I'm presentable to him? If there's anybody here and you've never put on the righteousness of Christ, I think today is the day. Today is the day. There's only one way to stand in this life, and that is wearing the breastplate of righteousness. The old hymn says, come on up. Guys, who If you would prepare the communion elements for us, if you would, those are going to help us with that. The old hymn says, "My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness." I dare not trust the sweetest frame. What he's talking about is your emotions, your emotions, your emotional feelings. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. So, if you've put, placed your faith in Christ as your only hope of being acceptable before God. You sit up straight. You take the bread, which represents the broken body of Jesus for your righteousness, and the cup, which represents his shed blood for your righteousness. And know that God considers you worthy, presentable, because he counts your faith as righteousness. Credits you with what Jesus has done. So if you would, men, begin, ladies, begin to serve us. And we'll ask you, if you would, to take these elements and uh, hold on to them. We'll all take together. And here in our church, we practice opus, open communion, which means if you are a follower of Jesus, we invite you to join with us in taking the Lord's Supper.